2: Hopefully, I don't have to tell you what that is. Uh, We're in a great deal of trouble if I do. But we might be in a great deal of trouble anyway. I mean, even if I don't have to tell you what that is. I might be in a great deal of trouble, but we have an excellent panel on the nose today. Uh, We're going to be talking about the new, the fourth attempt to do a Ghostbusters movie. I think the word attempt is critical in that sentence. Uh, A little bit later, we are going to talk about the musical sensation of the moment which is not just the Encanto uh, soundtrack, but specifically, we don't talk about Bruno, a song which is stuck in the heads of, I don't know, 68% of America right now. That's um, according to Nate Silver. And if we have time, we're going to talk about horny buildabears, thirst trap buildabears. Uh, hopefully we won't have time. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so who's going to do that with us today? Well, uh, Jim Chaplin. We're so excited to get Jim Chapdelane back. Apart from our annual holiday special that Jim and I do with Big Al Anderson, Jim is not because he's insisted on working, which I find very con- inconvenient for my purposes of getting him on my show. He has been working, so it's been hard to get him on the nose. I also want to say, Jim, that right now, my arm hurts, and it's sort of your fault because today my doctor asked me if I wanted a shingles vaccine. And I remember like five years ago, you were telling everybody to get a shingles shot. So I got one, and now my arm hurts. It uh, will hurt. But
0: <laughs> I, I'm a shingles shot evangelistic. Right. Um, and, and, and the reason I am is because I had shingles. right. And, and trust me, you want your arm to hurt right
2: now. <laughs> anyway, you have to get two of them, too. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, the
0: second one's worse. Oh, thanks. Thanks and, so Well, me. But you you would get it every day
2: Yeah. rather than get singles. <laughs> A couple of people said that, too. All right. But, yes, I, I heard your voice in my head when he asked me that. All right. Uh, Carolyn Payne is an actress, comedian, dancer. That's just warming up, really. And the founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance. Tracy Ruth Astenberg is development officer of uh, Connecticut's Children's, where maybe you could get a shingle shot. I don't know. Uh, maybe you couldn't. So, um, so yeah, uh, we're going to talk about all those things, starting with Ghostbusters Afterlife. And maybe before we do, why don't we hear a clip from Ghostbusters Afterlife. You'll hear Paul Rudd is a character named Gruberson, uh, and Logan Kim is a character named Podcast, who's sort of one of the n- new kind of child age Ghostbusters And McKenna Grace as Phoebe, the key uh, uh, to all the Ghostbusters, the granddaughter of the character played in the original uh, movie or two movies by uh, the late Harold Ramis. So here they go. No way. Killer replica. Totally. A replica of what? Trap. A ghost trap? Seriously? How do you of
1: all people not know about this? I'm ashamed. Oh, I was obsessed. New York in the 80s, it's like The Walking Dead.
2: Then it just stopped?
1: hmm I mean, there hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years.
3: Wait a minute.
2: This thing is real?
3: Absolutely. Maybe
0: found it in my living room you know what this means right your grandfather was a ghostbuster yes I'm
3: aware
2: All right. It is not particularly a secret that the three surviving Ghostbusters, uh, Bill Murray and Ernie Hudson and Dan Aykroyd, make an appearance in the movie, as does Sigourney Weaver, as does Annie Potts. Those are things that we know and that you probably know. It's not a spoiler. We will avoid spoilers. Uh, but Tracy Wu Fastenberg, uh, let's go begin with you. Um, you know, this is a movie. It's probably unfair to hold... Subsequent attempts to make Ghostbuster movies up to the original Ghostbuster movie, although it's also kind of inevitable that that's going to happen. But just tell me just, you know, as a movie stripped of its context, how did it work for you?
1: I mean, this this was definitely a movie made for kids who are now adults who grew up on Ghostbusters to probably watch with their own kids. It was n- not the same tone or feeling of the original. It was entertaining. Um I I can't say that I would necessarily watch it again except my husband hasn't watched it and he out of nostalgia would like to. But I described it to him as Stranger Things, less scary with some Ghostbuster y stuff thrown in there. But it's definitely more kid-centric or teenage-centric than the original.
2: Right. I mean a number of people have pointed out there's sort of a Goonies slash Stranger Things uh, vibe going on here. Uh, Carolyn, uh, how about for you? I believe you appeared on our uh, our entire episode about 1980s comedies, uh, of which perhaps Ghostbusters could be considered the pinnacle.
3: Yeah, I mean, the original Ghostbusters was brilliant because you had these comedic geniuses like Bill Murray and Rick Moranis, and even you know Annie Potts and and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis was terrific as kind of this like the straight man in it. So you had all these great comics taking this taking you through this journey and it, it didn't need to be super well written. it didn't need to be it it, it just it just worked even though maybe it shouldn't have. Uh, and then that's where this movie falls short. This is not a comedy. Like it, it is a total it's just a it, it's it's nostalgia. If you loved the old movies and you were a fan of them, this is a fun revisit in some ways. But if you don't really care about Ghostbusters, there's no point to watch. Uh, it is a totally different kind of movie. Uh, and even having those original people in it was fail. And it was weird because like Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon are terrific actors and they didn't. And they're very funny. Like Paul Rudd is brilliant, too. And he couldn't bring that. He didn't bring that right. That right sense of comedy to this. So, I mean, don't go into this expecting that it's going to be Ghostbusters. It's just kind of like this nostalgia that actually left me crying. Like I was I I was like, what is this salty discharge coming out of my eyes as I'm watching a Ghostbusters movie?
2: Which is also a line, I think, from Ghostbusters, too. What is this salty discharge coming from my eyes? Um, Or it could be. this actually sounds like something the character hell Ramos played would say egon um all right jim uh, how about you how did this movie land for you uh
0: shamefully i think i actually liked it um and, and i feel horrible saying that no i i like it's not ghostbusters in any way it doesn't it's it, it doesn't have all the characters that we've just talked about all the the actors that we've talked about pointing out Uh, with every line, how stupid this idea is, how absurd it is, but we're just going to have fun with this idea with a giant marshmallow man. Um, This is more of a feely movie and and it's more earnest and it's definitely a kid's movie. And uh, if you, if you go into it without the expectation that it's going to be just ironic and filled with absurd, uh, um, hilarious moments, you're gonna be disappointed. But if you go into it with sort of a Goonies-ish, Stranger Things headset, maybe even if we're gonna, um, well, no, I won't bring that up, but 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 I think it's, I enjoyed it. And then afterwards I read all the critiques of it and, and the various reviews of it where it just gets roasted mercilessly. Um, and I felt ashamed of myself for liking it so much.
2: Um, there, there is no shame. There's no shame in liking, I think. Almost almost never is there shame. in I'm just
0: glad I didn't read anything about it yes. prior.
2: I, I First of all, I want to point out that this is directed by Jason Reitman, uh, who is the son of um, – there's a lot of family stuff going on here, but a um, but, uh, son of Ivan Reitman who directed the first two movies. Uh, Ivan Reitman was reportedly kind of on the set sitting side by side with his son. Uh, and Jason Reitman, you know, is I haven't seen every single Jason Reitman movie, but I mean, I associate him much more with not so much with kids' movies, but with movies about family and trust. Uh, those appear to be his issues. Uh, I'm thinking in particular of Juno and Up in the Air, which are actually the only two Jason Reitman movies I think I've ever seen. But they they have very similar kinds of issues in them. And and I would actually maybe semi-dispute semi the idea that it's a kids' movie. I mean, it is a kids' movie. It has kids in it. The kids are doing interesting things. Also, absent from it are, are lines like, this man has no fill-in-the-blank from the original Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> you know, I mean, there isn't stuff like that. Uh, I think you guys are right in saying that it's made certainly so a kid's audience could, could enjoy it. And, and I think, Tracy, you're like right on the money when you say that it's a movie made for kind of, you know, a certain generation, the Ghostbusters generation, to watch with their now kids and maybe with for grandparents to do it too. But I think it's intended anyway to work as a movie about family and trust. There's a lot going on there. Carrie Coon's uh, character is the daughter of Egon. She feels very much abandoned by him, estranged from him. So, I mean, that's a thing that I think is sorted out or a, is an attempt to sort things like that out in a very, fair, fairly serious way. And so, I mean, not in an entirely serious way. I mean, you got blue munching ghosts flying all over the place. But, but Tracy, I mean, to that point, you know, I, I think for it to work— you, as the parent of children enjoying this kids movie, have to be able to buy into some of the human and familial questions that Jason Reitman wants you to be interested in, and that's—I I don't know—I'd be interested to know how that worked for you.
1: So, I mean, I under—I understand what you're saying about sort of the complex family feelings and you know generational. Um, interactions, but I still even felt in this, it was oversimplified. I think, you know, in his previous films, Reitman explored that deeper here. It's like, he's like, I got to work it in, but let me make it a little more linear. You know, she feels abandoned. It kind of stunk. You know, she finds all this stuff that maybe indicates differently, you know, and it works itself out pretty simply. It's, it's not as complex and it almost seems like it was maybe added in because it's like, well, we got to work it in somehow. And that's sort of how I saw it. But that's also what might be appropriate for, you know, me to show my kids as opposed to explaining, you know, more traumatic family interaction.
3: So I agree that with that, what you're saying that this is much easier for uh, parents to feel like, oh yeah, this is a kid movie. So I my brother and I loved Ghostbusters. We saw it very, very young. And my nephew, who's now seven, when he was about five, he came and spent a weekend with me with Auntie and I showed him Ghostbusters. And after he left, like a day or so later, I get an outraged phone call. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And like, Carolyn, if you have to explain uh being possessed to the child, a phone call home is nice. Because I guess, you know, I explained the scene where Dana is possessed by the ghost and floating over the bed. And, uh, you know, I gave him a very honest description of what was happening. And apparently that was not what my sister-in-law was in for yet with this movie. And I guess my nephew went home and... (laughs) Repeated everything I explained to him and talks about the movie and they were like Carolyn no they're like what cartoons Disney movies only
2: <laughs> <laughs> to be, I'm sending to my kids to your house right. to, to be, <laughs> yeah to be fair you also split a bottle a of Chardonnay with the kids so um, <laughs> you yeah, that may have been somewhere in the subtext um, yeah. but yeah I mean I, you know Jim uh, I, I I like what Tracy said although actually I, I view it kind of in the reverse I think Rightman because these are his issues. Wants to make a movie about this kind of screwed up family uh, and then he's occasionally thinking, oh, yeah, but it's also supposed to be really funny. You know, I better think of something funny to do. here. <laughs> to me, what gets added in is the is the funny. You know, I feel like the, the beating heart of the movie is an actual beating heart.
0: I felt that way, too. I mean, it's like I said earlier, it's not um, a straight up punch you in the face comedy. Um it, it almost is a, a family movie, sure. Um, I, I'm trying to recall if I ever watched uh, Ghostbusters with my daughter, but I, I I have to remind myself here, yes, he had to cram these sort of family and trust issues and, and all the feels that are in this. But the skeleton or the bones of this are, it, it, it's about ghosts coming to kill everyone uh, or at least eat all the metal so uh so guard your metal um and so he has to do that in a pretty narrow uh structure within a pretty a pre-built structure and i thought he was pretty clever about not overstating the mythology but just sort of letting it seep in here and there um you know i'm sure this was sort of a high concept movie where they had lunch and somebody outlined like make another ghost but make it with kids and make it about a family. Um, I, I don't know if they said anything about trust issues because that's a little too high concept for high concept, but it, it, it I think you have to look at this differently, almost like a fan fiction of, of the original Ghostbusters.
2: Ooh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, uh, yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, Carolyn, one thing we should say, I mean, let me just say two things about actors and then get you and Tracy to respond to too. But I mean, I I think Mackenzie Scott, this young uh, actor who's been around for a while, she's actually done a lot of stuff. In fact, she's she has the distinction, I think, of playing the younger version of two title characters. Uh, she was the younger version of Tanya Harding in I, I, *Tanya* or whatever the hell that movie was called, and the younger. I do recognize uh, her? Yeah, and the younger version of Captain Marvel in *Captain Marvel*. So, um, and she's she has made her. It could be my imagination. I'd love to know what the panel thinks. I think she's doing a pretty good Harold Ramis impersonation at times during this movie. She's kind of yes. She's, I think she might have gone to school a little bit on Harold Ramis and figured out the way she, way that he talks. She also, I might add co-wrote and performed the song you hear. It's called Haunted House that plays over the closing credits. So she seems to be kind of multi-talented. But, you know, I think she's terrific and she kind of sells a part of the movie, Carolyn. But what we're missing, we should just acknowledge it, is Bill Murray. I mean, in the original Ghostbusters, Murray did this incredibly kind of layered thing where he was participating in the movie as an actual character, but kind of had one foot out of it the way he does. You know, and it's a little bit making fun of the movie and the characters, Uh, uh, and 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 making fun, making fun of whatever is being said from a point of view that is both located in the movie and located outside the movie, and it, it just sort of keeps up all the way through, you know, as they're. As they're getting out of the car, the, the, their ambulance at the, at, the, at the building that they need to you know to pur- purify at the end, and the crowd is cheering, and, and, and Murray's looking around, he points to, to Dan uh, Aykroyd and goes, Ray, whatever his name is, the heart of the Ghostbusters. I mean, it's all just this kind of show-busy moment for him. And, and I, I think without that voice, you're always going to have a movie that's not really like the Ghostbuster or, or original, Carolyn.
3: Well, I agree with uh, pretty much all of that actually. I think McKenna Grace did do a great job playing this like sort of egon reincarnate. Uh I think they did a great job styling her for this movie and you know, helping that image along. Um, but her performance, I I, I think her performance was solid enough to carry this kind of sappy little movie. She she held my interest and 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 brought something pretty authentic to to this character. Um and I I do think that the the kid who played podcast mm. when when you're talking about these young actors kind of taking over Ghostbusters like filling their little jumpsuits so to speak the he kind of had this great like Dan Aykroyd as Ray vibe he was you know puts on that that little that head goggle gear thing whatever that ghost viewing goggle kit that Ray always had on his head. Um, and podcast wears that, and kind of has that same sort of like slumpy sidekick sort of thing that Ray had in the original Ghostbusters. So you know, I did appreciate all those little nods and the way that these young actors took on these characters and sort of made them their own. But absolutely, you just can't. I think that what we saw in this is that the magic of Ghostbusters really did fall a lot on on that, that foursome of actors, the original Ghostbusters, and Bill Murray just, yeah, kind of making fun of what they were doing, but at the same time, just being in it. And that's a really fine line to to tread, to like nail that kind of, uh, I, this is sort of a parody, I'm, I'm making a parody, but I'm also being being real. And I loved how like Bill Murray, like most of his lines, he just delivers like he's singing, like his sing-songy voice that is just so sarcastic and mocking, I mean, it, I, I just think that even with even his presence in this movie, I, I don't know if they were directed differently or you know he just didn't feel like bringing that. I don't know, there was something even with the original Ghostbusters, they didn't have their, they weren't striking that in the same way for me.
2: All right. Yes. Dogs and cats living together. Uh, Yeah, he does sort of sing them. Apparently, I'm being told by by producer McPants that he says that he he tried to do that, that he was he was a little bit singing all the way through. All right. We have to stop. I promised more, but we have to stop. We're going to go to a pledge break uh, right here. This is the final day of the pledge drive. Obviously, it's to our credit if you pledge during our hour. So think about doing that. Nice people are going to talk to you right now. And then we're going to come back and we're not going to talk about Bruno.
0: Support for this
1: podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare.
0: Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Healthcare. cap of-
2: Right, uh, your day is now ruined. You will never get that song out of your head. Um, this is—we don't talk about Bruno. It's from the Disney uh, musical *Encanto*, uh, about a small, remote a village in Colombia where the Madrigal family lives, and they have special powers, except for one of them. Uh, and they don't talk about Bruno because—and we—this is the second time we played the song on the show. Played a little bit of it in our—we uh, did an entire show about people who can tell the future, uh, the whole notion of predicting the future. And that is, in fact, Bruno's power. So um, how to describe it? It's number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, other songs now from the musical are creeping up uh, underneath it, but it, it has established itself as an earworm and a hit and a lot of other things. And there's some people who were kind of puzzling o- over that a little bit. I would, before we get the conversation going, and not to preempt anything, just say... I don't know. With Sondheim dead, Lin Manuel Miranda is the most prodigiously talented writer of theatrical music in America. He wrote that song. You know, what <laughs> are the chances it's not going to be good? Uh, but good doesn't get get you to number one, not all by itself. Jim Chapdelaine, Carolyn Payne, Tracy Wu, Fastenberg are here with us. Uh, Jim, maybe you should get us going. You being the musician and producer and all that stuff. So I don't know. What do you hear in this song, and why do you think it's number one?
0: Well, I'm late to the party on this song. I, I, I don't have like top forty radio in my life anymore. <laughs> so, um, and I haven't for about thirty five years. Uh, so, I'm not hip to it the way some of you hip people are. Um, but, but I like this song. And then when you read the lyrics, of course, they're really smart because he wrote it. The actual structure of it seems like pretty standard um, uh, um latin pop fair but i i love the bridge because it breaks away from that mm-hmm. and um and, and i also think this is sort of a, a big moment for latin pop which has been um you know cracking charts all over the world and and probably in the united states but but sort of relegated to the latin pop charts so i think it's kind of cool that it's just blasting right through. And and it's doing that without being a dance, like the cha-cha, the samba, or the rumba, or the Macarena, or whatever it is. It's doing it on its own merits. But I think at the end of the day, I, I just consulted with uh, the youth in my family, <laughs> and she explained what's going on here. And she said, oh, Dad, it's TikTok. It's t- everything on TikTok has to do with this song. And they're about to do that with a few other songs. Which I may reveal. Um, so, so she attributes it mostly to TikTok. So I, I don't. I guess a lot of people are going to attribute it to the movie. Which I'm feeling like of the two movies we're talking about, maybe I watched the wrong one. I'm not sure, but I will watch this movie <laughs> because of this song. So I don't know if that helps, but it's it's a it's a Cuban rhythm, and which I, everyone loves. It is you know. Uh, it, it's been around for a long time, and it's great to hear it sort of pop up.
2: Yeah, it's sort of, I mean, you know, it's sort of been called salsa. Salsa really is kind of a catch-all term for kind of layered rhythms. Um, I think part of the song is what I think is a guajira, which is kind of da 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 The couplet. Tupl- yeah, it's, it's, it's the three-eighths, three-eighths, and then quarter, quarter, dotted quarter. Um, So, uh, but I mean, yeah, I I think part of the thing is people, Despacito notwithstanding, people don't hear that much Afro-Cuban music. And when they do, they really like it, particularly if it's well done, which it is here. Speaking of places that might be blasting through, to use Jim's term, I'm thinking one of those places might be the Tracy Wu-Fastenberg household where the target audience lives and probably demands to hear this.
1: On repeat with their own versions of it constantly, um, when you talk about it being stuck in someone's head. I think I sleep, dream, eat a lot of not talking about Bruno. Um, But I think for them, it's fun. You know, it's just, it's fun. It's upbeat. I love the fact that it's not some, you know, whiny princess character finding her own as a teenager or a sappy love song. Um, But it's something more It's something that is not that. It's fun. It's a little different from what normally Disney throws out there. And I enjoyed the whole movie. We've watched it several times in this house, <clears> being a very minimizing <laughs> term. But um, and I'll say it's not actually even my favorite song from the movie, but it is fun. It's catchy. It's going to stick in your head. And I can see how people can have a lot of fun with it. I don't tick or talk, but I can see how people could use it and adapt it. And if my kids are um, any indication of the count of times played, our Alexa is probably going to break from playing Bruno so much. (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, well, all of that, Uh, all of that. uh, Very, very true. And and TikTok obviously is a gigantic force in all this. Good luck breaking something uh, as a hit these days without getting TikTok involved somewhat anyway. So, Carolyn, uh, I believe your sister-in-law has obtained a restraining order so that you can't watch this movie with your nephew. Uh, so, uh, how, how, are the, how does how does the song work for you?
3: Oh, I, I'm i just so mad. This just plays constantly in my head. Like if I let my head just kind of go <laughs> empty for a second, all of a sudden, like, Bruno comes in and I cannot, I'm losing my sanity. I have not seen the movie. Um, I, I do, like, I'm a TikTok creeper. Like, I don't have a t- I have a TikTok, but it's, like, for my cat. Um, but I'll, like, scroll on TikTok. And uh, it's just there's so many. There are, like, costume videos. There are so many dance videos. Like, every kind of dance. Somebody has choreographed something to this. Um, there's, like, puppets singing it. There are, like, little kids singing it. There are cooking tutorials, cocktail videos, all set to the song. And it's just, it's, like, you every other video you scroll through is this song um I and I'm just over it. it it's me <laughs> actually, wanna watch the movie uh, to, in some ways so I do agree that this is you know at least not like a whiny princess song that we didn't need any more of but uh I don't know I mean this is just so catchy and like kudos to lin Manuel Miranda it's like what he does well. But like this is worse. I'm going to say it. This is worse than let it go. This like haunts my dreams and my free space in my head even more.
2: <laughs> we, we should say that um, Disney clearly didn't know what it had either with this movie, which kind of had kind of a, a luke, lukewarm promotion campaign. Wasn't really necessarily viewed as the blockbuster it's turned out to be. Uh, and they didn't really understand the music in it either. Um, we don't talk about Bruno is not. Uh, one of the songs that was uh, submitted to the Oscars, nor was Surface Pressure, which is the one that's kind of bubbling up under right now. Uh, a, a song called uh, Dos Arguitas uh, is uh, the song that is now on the shortlist uh, for the Oscars. So, um, so Jim, yeah, I mean, we were sort of emailing about this, all four of us, before the, the show. In, in a way, comparing chart performances... Uh, of this to other Disney songs is a little off just because the charts count streaming now. So, you know, every thousandth play of of this song in the uh, Wu Fastenberg household, I mean, you know, they, they get all thousand counts in there uh, as part of their total.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it's difficult for me to sort of even imagine how they, they do these calculations over the multiple uh, uh, streams that are available uh what it used to be I, I i think it used to be based on sales or radio play there were kind of two charts and um obviously sales are gone and radio play might be irrelevant i'm not, I'm not sure except in maybe country music so um so you're left with all these multiple platforms. I don't even know how they calculate it. So um, it might be apples and oranges, but whatever way they're calculating it, it's still number one, right?
2: Yeah. And I, I just want to quickly say, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda is such a force and, and he's so well suited to this too. I mean, one thing about Disney is they have, after the Sherman, the horrible detestable Sherman brothers uh, got out of the game. I mean, Disney's kind of made its mark or made it made it a habit anyway, just to get really elite songwriters. I mean, Alan Menken is a tremendous songwriter by any possible measure of this. He probably wrote more of the modern Disney songs than uh, than anyone else. But you know, the Lopez's worked. Lopez's who did Book of Mormon and stuff like that, uh, and Avenue Q. They they did uh, Let It Go and all the Frozen stuff. Uh, I mean, they, Stephen Schwartz and Alan Menken wrote the Pocahontas songs. You have to get
0: Alan Sherman. Yeah, no. Alan Alan Sherman,
2: I would love to see a Disney movie with Alan Sherman songs, but that's not what we were getting from Mary Poppins. So I just feel like, you know, adding Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is just so formidable and is really, really good at the thing you need to be able to do with Disney songs, which is get some of the plot into the song, which you don't have to do with lots of other kinds of musicals. But like, you know, I mean, even he, Lin-Manuel, has said, you know, once you hear the song Bell... Uh, at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast you know a lot at the end of that song you know there hasn't been any spoken word stuff the whole the song set the whole musical up for you and and I, I think with uh, Dos Arguitas or uh, or this song we, we don't talk about Bruno you know you have a lot of different members of the cast kind of jumping in and telling you something about themselves and of course he's so good at fitting really fast and tricky meter to fast and tricky music uh, and, and having it all work and he also realizes that one thing that people like to do is memorize stuff that's really fast. Uh, and that happened with Hamilton. It's happening here. So people are kind of learning these songs and then TikToking them and stuff like that. So anyway, I'm sorry for making a big, long speech. And we could talk more about that, except that I feel as though several people, starting with Cat Pastor, will be disappointed if we don't talk about the build a bear thirst trap. So, um, <laughs> and, and believe me... <laughs> Most you better of the, have some
0: appropriate music for this. Yes,
2: most of the time yeah. of this segment will probably go uh, to both uh, Lucy, Jim's dog, who just barked, uh, and well, to— Well, you notice she
0: held off until you mentioned yeah, the, sexy I, Build-A-Bear. I, yeah, now I, now I don't blame her. Now she's all wild. And stuff.
2: Yes. Yeah. Carolyn Payne is going to need probably about six or seven minutes of time to talk about her feelings uh, about this. But the the build, Build-A-Bear people, you know, who make these adorable, high-quality bears uh, that you can customize and have all kind of rituals that go along with them— for Valentine's Day, they, they're rolling out sexy bears, kind of. Um, and the, the audience, it says in this article that we were given, the audience is clearly the type of person who posts wine-drinking memes on Facebook. I mean that in the best possible sense. I'm just just trying to think of somebody on the show today who might fit into that demographic somehow. Um, And anyway, (laughs) it's it's Build-A-Bear After Dark is what it's called. I don't know, Carolyn, take it away. You you had a very strong reaction, particularly the first thing that we see is this kind of Hugh Hefner kind of lion. Uh, So I don't know. Give us your thoughts and feelings.
3: Well, okay. So, I mean, I just think that this is kind of hilarious. Like, If I, if somebody bought this ridiculous lion bear wearing this Hugh Hefner robe that's holding a bottle of champagne, uh, if they bought this for me, like as a joke and they like staged it the way that it is in the photo where he's in this like very like coquettish little lunge, like looking all like sexy bear. I I mean, I would laugh, but I'd hope that there was like a better, that there was something more than this going on for my evening. Uh, but I really can have trouble understanding the market of like (laughs) sexy build a bears (laughs) that you can go online to the bear cave that you have to click your 18 and over to get on. It's on their website. And then you click on like the bear cave and it wants you to confirm that you are over 18. And then it takes you to this listing of bears who are holding toy bottles of wine and, you know, wearing Hugh Hefner robes. There's one that's wearing like boxers and a giant heart cut out on his head. They aren't sexy. Like they don't have, I, I mean, I probably can't Speak even say for that.
0: yourself. <laughs> I was
3: going to say, yeah, I, I mean, like, come on, they've gone sexy, but they didn't, they went just, you know, they're like a step up from those cheesy bears you buy at Walgreens.
2: Wait a minute. Two hours ago, you were thirsty for the lion. Are we, are we glossing yes. over that? Yeah. Right. Right. That
3: Lion, I did say, I started this out saying like, you know what? That lion's cute. I would enjoy if somebody got that as a joke. Uh, so yeah, if anyone's listening and wants to send me a sexy lion, I'm not going to be mad about it. Uh, but I will- not if you're trying to court
1: her. If you're actually trying to court Carolyn, don't send the sexy lion only if you want to make her laugh.
2: Right. Because she <laughs> she will like the lion better than she would like you. Oh, I will
3: and- definitely like the lion better right. than you who sent this in full. <laughs> <as> <laughs> activity you don't
2: place. want to be sending your competition. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly.
3: I mean, come on. He look at his eyes and his robe. And, you know, he's got champagne mm. like so onto to his hand. He's got it going on.
2: <laughs> so um, we got to go to a break just so we'll have time to do endorsements. But uh, I would have to ask kind of the mom of the group, uh, Tracy. I mean, the, the concern might be, will this in some way disrupt the the pristine innocence of the build bear But uh, I don't know whether that's a valid concern or not.
1: I mean, I've I've never built a bear. I get I know the concept. I know, you know, the craze around it. But again, just like uh uh afterlife, this might be for the kids who grew up building bears and are now into their adulthood ah. and they wanna hang on to that nostalgia, but you know, make it adults e
0: kind ah. of. But they but they wanna have relations.
2: Right.
1: It's, hor- it's, horrifying. it's horrifying. It's horrifying.
0: It's horrifying. So,
2: uh, yeah, Jim and I are getting the shingles vaccine bear. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we've, we've, and, I'm,
0: and wait till you get the second bear.
2: Yeah, that's right. We've moved beyond thirsty, thirst trap, uh, build a bear. So we're too old for them. All right. We have to take a quick break. We'll come back after this. Oh, baby, let me be. You love chain around my neck and lead me
3: anywhere let me be, let him be. I don't wanna
2: be a tiger, cause tigers play too rough. I
0: don't wanna be a lion, cause lions ain't the
2: kind you love enough. All right. Thanks to Cat Pastor, uh, who's making the show hum as usual, as our technical producer, Jonathan McPants, is the producer of The Nose. Uh, We've got uh, just about uh, five and a half, no, four and a half minutes left uh, for people to make some endorsements now before we go to another pledge break. Uh, So, uh, Jim Chaplin, get us started. What are you going to recommend?
0: Um, You know, I missed the show, um, and I really wish I could have done it, uh, where you you talked about Get Back. So um, I will heartily endorse Get Back which is a must-see for music lovers or music creators or maybe anybody who does anything creative because you get to see the sort of agony and ecstasy of it, the messiness of it. It's great. Um, And in keeping with today's theme of afterlife, I will endorse uh, the great show with Ricky Gervais on Netflix, Afterlife, which literally will have you laughing out loud and sobbing. And who doesn't need that? All right. So, and you can cuddle with a sexy Build a Bear after, afterwards.
2: <laughs> but we don't need to know about that. Um, all right. So, I'm endorsing it. Okay. Um, Tracy Wu Pastenberg. how about a recommendation from you or two?
1: Uh, to go along with the cuddling or not cuddling of bears, um, Valentine's Day is definitely not one of my favorite holidays. It's not even a holiday in my world, but I will heartily endorse the eating of delicious baked goods. And with that, I will endorse the craft. Um, they just opened a an actual retail space in East Granby, but you can also order um, delicious, delicious baked goods. We've had, you know, custom cakes and pastries and everything. Mm. And in the keeping of Black History Month, it happens also to be Black-owned besides being incredibly delicious.
2: Mm, the craft. Wow. Didn't know about it. Sounds great. Uh, and uh, Carolyn Payne, uh, make us a recommendation, please.
3: Sure. Uh, so I just started watching it last night. I'm only one and a half episodes in, but it already earned a recommendation. Murderville on Netflix. Uh, it is Will Arnett, and each episode he has a guest, uh, a guest co-star who is uh, a various comedian. It's like Conan O'Brien, Annie Murphy of Schitt's Creek, Sharon Stone. Just it, it is he. It is basically like Law and Order meets improv comedy. So each episode there is a mystery to solve, and the guest his guest star is the only person who has not been giving us given a script so they have to stumble through with <laughs> will arnett playing the detective and solve this crime via improv acting and comedy uh it is so fun uh so definitely check that out
2: all right uh that sounds great actually i i'd seen it listed somewhere but you you just sold it uh so um, so Murderville. I will definitely check that out. Um, so I will endorse maybe a future Nose episode, in which case I'm kind of getting over my skis here. But uh, but Nightmare Alley, which is the Benicio del Toro film noir set in the world of Carnies um, featuring Bradley Cooper and some other pretty terrific actors like Kate Blanchett uh, and Tony Collette. Um, it's it's a terrific piece of noir filmmaking. It's everything that you would think. Uh, del Toro would maybe deliver in, in a context like that. And it has kind of the the grim moralism of film noir from the 30s and 40s uh, and uh, a little bit of sort of a head type stuff um, baked into that as well. So uh, I will do that. And then one, a cu- couple of um, documentaries, these are not new documentaries, but they're ones that they kind of well, as we were getting ready to talk about, we don't talk about Bruno. I was just thinking about how much great music there is in the in the world, how much great songwriting there is, and that we often you know, have to make a special effort to go back and make sure we listen to all of it. So, uh, with that in mind, uh, the Clive Davis documentary, which I think is called the Sound Soundtrack of Our Lives or something like that, um, the Playlist of Our Lives. I, I don't know. It, it's it's terrific. It's sort of about his various discoveries, but. In doing that, you not only learn a little bit more about his character, but uh, you're walking through musical history as he, you know, from Janis Joplin to Whitney Houston, uh, discovers one phenomenon after another. And then in a very similar vein— Uh, And I just watched this a couple of days ago. Uh, I believe it is called Hitsville, The Making of Motown. Uh, It's kind of hosted by Barry Gordy uh, and Smokey Robinson, who continue to be apparently best friends. And so they're just talking you through the whole thing. I don't know. I know a lot about Motown. There was stuff in there that I... Did not know. Uh, And you just, once again, you just get steeped in that really great music. All right. Thanks to our wonderful panel, uh, Jim Chapdelaine, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, Carolyn Payne. Here come some people to ask you to support us. Please do that.